This is Let Your Voice Be Heard right here on WHCR 90.3 FM, the voice of Harlem. And we are back on Let Your Voice Be Heard on 90.3 FM, WHCR, the voice of Harlem. If you are just tuning in, you are reaching out and speaking to a group of people who have been very, very frustrated all week. As you guys know, the white man celebrated the white man's holiday. No offense, Alyssa. And that was July 4th because America, except for black people and Mexicans and gay people and women and anyone else who is not a white man, celebrated their independence on July 4th. And everyone ate barbecue food and drank lots of beer and partied and watched fireworks. And then the very next day, guess what happened? A man by the name of Alton Sterling was shot by the police. And the police said that they thought he had a gun. But the funny thing about that man having a gun was that the cops had their knees pinned to his back, had him pinned to the ground, had hit him with a stun gun, and all of a sudden saw a gun in his pocket, allegedly, and then shot him five times. And then when he was shot five times, of course, those two cops said that they were justified because they thought that their lives were in danger, even though no one else thought that he was being a problem or a danger. And even though he was just selling CDs in front of a store, and even though the owner of that store had given him permission to sell CDs in that store years ago and called him one of the kindest souls that he had ever met. Despite all of these things, Alton Sterling became another hashtag. That's right. Black people were put in jail, were shot, and were turned into hashtags, and Alton Sterling became a hashtag. And to add insult onto injury, the video went online, and it went viral, so his family got to see him murdered on a live stream. If you got a good data plan, you saw him die. If your friend has a data plan, you saw him die. If you were on Facebook, you saw him die. If you were on Twitter, you saw him die. And even though we all saw him die, as we have learned as people of color in America, Seeing someone die at the hands of the police when they did nothing means nothing because blue lives matter more than black ones, apparently. And just as we were getting so upset over Alton Sterling, another video popped up. A brave woman went live on Facebook after her boyfriend was shot by a cop inside of his car with his daughter in the back seat. And while she was screaming and crying, saying that he was shot and blood was flowing from his chest and he was slumped over, the cops pulled her out of the car and made her walk around to test to make sure that she was a not a criminal and b not drunk only for her to come back in the car break down crying while the boyfriend was still slumped in the car and for her four-year-old little girl to say mom i'm here this is what happened in the first couple of days of this week and we began to protest and we began to scream and we began to cry because that's what we usually do and we said black lives matter and then we had some protests and some marches all across the state and in dallas guess what happened 11 police officers were shot five killed by a lone shooter affiliated with no one white america just in case you didn't know affiliated with no one went and took it upon himself to go after police officers was he right no was he justified absolutely not but am i surprised nope i'm really not so today we're going to be talking about all these crazy things that have been happening talking about our pain talking about our frustration talking about what seems to be a line drawn between black lives and allegedly blue lives because apparently there are such a things called blue lives and what we can do moving forward to make sure that they just stop killing us that's, that's if they can even do that so to start the conversation what i'd like to do is just get some reactions from my good friends and co-hosts selena and Alyssa. selena go ahead um I just want to start by saying that um, Diamond Reynolds, who was 
the fiance of Philanto Castro, who was killed in Minnesota, mm-hmm. she actually wasn't screaming and crying while after her boyfriend died, and she watched like she watched him take his last breath. She was so calm, cool, and collective; it was almost uncanny, and it was an, a, a direct juxtaposition, um, juxtaposition mm-hmm. of how that cop was. Like mm-hmm. if we we've all seen that video, right? Or if you choose to, the cop who was standing who who shot her fiance was still like screaming he looked extremely anxiety written he looked like he was having a panic attack and he was screaming out i told him not to reach for it and then diamond very coolly um corrected him and said no sir mind you she kept calling him sir to show her a level of respect and she said no sir you told him to show you his id that's what he was doing, and then you shot. I mean, it is just, and I just want to say that Philanto's mother has been doing a number of media rounds, and she's been just telling the world, I always taught my son to comply with complete with police. I told him, do not resist arrest, because this will increase your chances of survival as a black man in America. And we also know that he had a legal carry-arm permit, so he was legally licensed to have a gun. Proper procedure is also to verbally communicate that to a police officer, just so that you keep that police officer abreast, away aware of what's going on and in control he did that he complied he was reaching for his id and he was shot dead and it's like there's no way around it lastly what i will say is when i first saw this video it it had a stark comparison to another black man who i forget the state i think it was either north or south carolina a few years ago um, he was pulled over by cops in a gas station, and the cops said, you know, let me see your um, ID. He reached back into his car to get it. When he turned around, the cops shot him a few times. Mm-hmm. After he was already on the floor, he started apologizing to the cops, saying, I'm sorry, what did I do? Like, you told me to get I your ID. Yeah. yeah, you remember that. And yeah. I'm just like, even if you comply, you are still in danger of being shot dead in America as a person of color. Yeah. And the cop said, sorry, bro. That <laughs> no, was a cop you know. response. If you want to call in, before we get to Alyssa, I know people have a lot to say. If you want to call in with a question, comment, or just a vent, the number is 212-650-6903. Again, that is 212-650-6903. Go ahead, Alyssa. Yeah, I say, I was going to say, when you have somebody like Newt Gingrich, who is like the whitest white white bread ever, and uh, clearly in the past has not been... Uh, in any position to try and help talk about uh, these issues. When when you have Newt Gingrich coming out and saying that it's more dangerous to be black in America, you know that you've wow. reached some kind of level. And, and mind you, even a broken clock is right twice a day, and Newt Gingrich may want to be Donald Trump's vice president, and so he may be trying to pander to the black community um, in order to get votes for the Republican candidate. Um, but that said, you know, It's, you know, we should have reached a moment a long time ago where people were really paying attention to what was going on. And I feel like we have this bad cycle where it's like somebody gets killed by the police. We protest injustice. It goes on for a while. Then that dies down. Nothing happens. Nothing changes. And then somebody else gets killed by the police. And then we go through this cycle again and again and again and again, I mean, since Michael Brown was killed, 
We can name so many others. There's Michael Brown. There's Tamir Rice. There's Eric Garner. There's Laquan McDonald. There's Walter Scott. There's Alton Brown. There's Philando Castile. I mean, and and the list goes on and on and on. Five hundred and sixty-one people since Michael Brown was killed. Yep. When does it stop? I don't. I wish I had the answer. We do have a caller on the line. I want to give the floor to Miss Deborah. Miss Deborah, let your voice be heard. Hi, guys. Hi, how are you? First of all, I, I'm just, you know, you can't say, I can't say any more than what you just said. But I, I want people to be very mindful of Dallas, okay? Because last night, you know, when I looked at that little piece before going out, I, you know, it was like, oh, everything is, is you know, it's, it's popping up again. And, you know, it, it, it's, it's, it's almost like, I don't even know if they're making it up now. You know, I mean, okay, you... you Eleven people were killed. I'm sorry to hear about that, but you know, I also feel like, to a certain degree, that the police are using their own, almost as a blanket to cover up, cover up what happened to the last two black men last week. And it sounds ugly, but I mean, you know, America's ugly. America can be very ugly sometimes. And you know, now you know. This morning, I heard you hear so much, so much. And then they're always talking about, oh, things are so fluid. Oh, you know, don't give me that. Don't give me that. One minute they claim, oh, they're afraid. Then they say, oh, well, we had everything under control. And I also want to know, how does, how does the police department know that the person that called, that, it wasn't, that person wasn't from the police department? So, uh, Ms. Deborah, it sounds like you're saying there may be, like, a conspiracy. Are you saying that the police set it up? I didn't say, I don't know. I'm just saying, if you are, if if this is something that just popped up yesterday and someone called. See, I I don't know the whole, the whole uh, thing, but they claim someone called with a threat or something like that. And, you know, that was, like, for yesterday. And, And they say that the police say that it's it's no one from their department. Well, how do you know that? Well, you know what? All details have not been fully disclosed. It's an ongoing investigation, but I will say this. It is so natural, especially for people of color, to be distrustful of police. The fact that we are even considering that the police departments may have set it up themselves just shows the level of distrust. We don't trust police, and police kill people within communities of color. And this has been an ongoing problem in America since its birth. And I mean, as you're going to find out later during our second segment, clearly even the police don't trust the police, especially when it comes to minority officers. Um, And that's why one of the reasons why they're bringing the lawsuit, and I can't wait to speak to Edwin Raymond during the second segment about that, but just like with respect to this segment, um, and getting back to what I was saying before, it seems like we're in this process where it's like we know the process. You know, I saw this meme the other day. We know the process. One, administrative leave. Two, tell a story that the guy was a thug, even if that's not true. Three, have a trial. Four, officers found not guilty. Or it should say three, no indictment, and therefore officer found not guilty. Five, next incident, right? And, and and wash, rinse, and repeat. And it's really, really frustrating. And, you know, so then we have to ask ourselves, like, what can we do to change it? And I know we're going to talk about some of the solutions later on uh, during this segment. But, like, from my point of view, um, as a civil rights attorney, uh, you know, I mean, we can see just, like, you know, a stark contrast with respect to 
who has punitive interactions with the police uh, within New York City. Um, and I'm sure that what we see here is uh, just one tree in a forest, but is not uh, the trees in the forest in other places are not much different from the trees that we see here. Um, you know, I'm sure that we see a lot of things. I mean, and I also can tell you, I'm on a listserv full of other civil rights attorneys that have chit chat every single day back and forth about different legal issues. Um, you know, and we're all dealing with this. And these are lawyers all over the country that are dealing. Uh, you should see some of the emails I get about people's even a lot of stuff you don't hear about when people get shot by the police, but they don't die. Right. And then they call a lawyer. And then I hear about a lot of those things through the listserv, a lot of different lawyers saying, I'm representing such and such who was shot by the police or such and such, or I represent the family of such and such who was killed by the police. And these are the facts. And so there's a lot of other other incidents that fly below the radar that you don't even hear about in the mainstream media. So we do have a call on the line, but before we do that, I need to make a quick announcement. I've been making this announcement throughout the show. So in case you guys do not know, there have been protests going on in Baton Rouge all weekend. A lot of people have been arrested. Guys, listen, you know prison is not good for anybody. It's definitely not good for people of color. If you want to be supportive, please call the Baton Rouge Police Department at 225-389-3800 and demand the release of all protesters. And if you can, donate money Donate bail money. You can do that at crowdrise.com slash batten hyphen rouge hyphen bail hyphen fund. And we'll make sure we share that on Twitter as well. If you want to be an ally, this is your place and the time to do that. Selena? No, I thought you said a call on the line. Yes, yes, we do. Okay. So now on the line, we have Dixon. Dixon, let your voice be heard. Hey, how's everyone doing? I'm good. How are you? I'm doing great. Doing great. I just wanted to um, just share my comments, my comments and sentiments on what is being spoke about. I honestly feel like that there's an aspect of this whole ordeal that's not really being talked about, especially with our generation, you know, considering that we're the next up to kind of deal with these problems and issues. I think that, you know, for example, you have the the unjust shootings, and I think that what needs to be taken into accountability is that most of these police officers, and I, I believe that this is, has been spoken to on mainstream media, is that, you know, there was a time when police officers policed the neighborhoods in which they served. And moving forward, you have police officers who are going into unknown, uncharted territory, and they're policing neighborhoods in which they do not serve and they do not live in. And the only consumption or the only notion that they have of the people in that neighborhood is what's being presented or, what's, or, or what they have of, 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 let's say, for example, black people and what the perception is of black people. Most of these police officers, when they are firing, when they're shooting black people, they are scared. And the worst person is to be to have a gun and to be scared. So these white police officers, they have a weapon, they have a badge, and they, they're afraid of the people that they are supposed to be protecting. And that combination is never good. And I think that when we talk about solutions, when we talk about what can actually be done in the black community to help us, unfortunately, just like you said, since Michael Brown, didn't you say it was like 516 deaths from wrongly deaths? Then? Yes. Well, you, you, Vixen, we um, are full, we stand in solidarity. Like, I definitely appreciate you for calling in Fiction. And if anyone else wants to let their voice be heard, the number is 212-650-6903. So, um, actually, just wanted to, you know, add to some of the things that uh, Vixen just said when he called in, which is, you know, you're absolutely right. I agree with that. Um, one of the other plaintiffs uh, in the case, um, or maybe has his own lawsuit, Adele Polanco, is also a police officer. Um, I had a chance and actually, Stanley was with me. We went to hear him speak um, at the Obsidian Baptist Church one night um, as part of a police reform. 
reform organizing uh, forum that was held. And he talked about when he was growing up what made him want to become a police officer is because he saw black and brown skinned police officers in his neighborhood. They knew him. Um, if there was some issue, if they came and saw him standing outside of a bodega, they would say, oh, that's little a deal. Like, people, like these officers knew who he was. They knew that he wasn't causing problems. And they also knew people in the community that were causing problems. And so they were not just randomly stopping anybody that they saw because they were familiar with the people in their neighborhood. I think one big fix, especially with respect to the New York City Police Department, and a lot of people disagree with this, but not only do I think we should make sure to have police officers in precincts in communities where they live, um, as Fiction points out. But I also think that if you don't live in New York City, you shouldn't be able to be a New York City Police Department officer. There are so many people that come in from Westchester, from Long Island, that have no idea. They don't know anything about these communities. They don't know these ty- They don't know these people. They don't understand the culture of people that live in these communities. And they're put in there to police, and they're, they have no... like. They, they look at these people as animals, not as human beings. And when you look at somebody as less than human, then it's easy for you to fire a gun at them and not think like you are taking the life of somebody who has a family, who has a mother, who has a father, who has children, who has a wife. Um, and, and also on that point, like it's, you know, it's not just white police officers because it's all police officers because they're taught this culture of fear, that they're always at risk of being shot. That, yep. And when you're constantly in fear, that fear creates anxiety. And when you have anxiety, you're more likely to pull the trigger, even in a situation where there's absolutely no need for you to pull the trigger. So there's a lot of things that we need to do to deal with that from the police officer level. And I actually want to bring this stuff back up during our next segment when we have the officer here to speak to him about some of these things and how he feels about them. Stanley? Thanks a lot, Alyssa. So we do have to go on a quick break but before we go I'm going to let you guys give you guys a hint of what's going to happen when we come back so real quick a report is coming out that Philando Castile was pulled over because he matched a description of a suspect with a wide set nose oh my god how many times have you heard that I'm going to let you guys sit on that for a little bit and when we come back we do have another caller on the line who wants to let his voice be heard this is let your voice be heard we'll be right back And we are back on Let Your Voice Be Heard on 90.3 FM WHCR, The Voice of Harlem. I am in here with Selena Hill and Alyssa Fuchs, and we are talking about the recent police shootings that took place this week. Rest in peace, Alton Sterling. Rest in peace, Philando Castile. Rest in peace, Sandra Bland. Rest in peace, Rakia Boyd. And if you're wondering why I bring up those two women, it's because even though we have a situation where black men are being shot and killed by the police, black women are also being shot and killed by the police, and it is important that we say their names because they matter. We say see them. Selena? It's the one year anniversary of Sandra Bland's death too, FYI. Thank you. Thank you very much. So guys, before we went on a break, I mentioned that the police pulled over pulled over Philando Castillo because he matched the description of a suspect with a wide set nose. And that's a big issue in policing right now is racial profiling, something that's supposed to not be happening anymore, but I guess that's still a problem. We do have a caller on the line right now, so I want to get to him. Anthony, let your voice be heard. Hello, guys. How's everyone doing? So far, so good. How about you? It's my birthday. Happy Happy birthday. So, Anthony, what do you want to tell us today? Yes, uh, I just wanted to say that uh, Friday night I was out getting some Chinese food and a guy double parked his car to run to a Chinese restaurant. And, you know, the cops, there was something going on, like, on the block over. 
but you know they totally disregarded that, and they turned this attention they turned the attention to this guy, and they go around the block, come back, and put on lights to give him a ticket. So now he's like, you know, officer, what am I getting a ticket for? You know, I just ran in, and you know, I'm ready to go. So they draw their guns on him, and I'm just like, all of this for a double parked car because someone went to get Chinese food. But you just totally disregarded an emergency two blocks away, you know, just to go around the block to get someone a ticket. And it's not like it was, you know, it was like uh, two cops that were black. I mean, were white. It two, you know, black cops. I'm looking at them like, are you guys really serious? And they're just causing this whole big commotion. And, you know, it, it, it's just crazy. No, agreed. I mean, like, this is... Like I said earlier, um, because there's like this mentality once you become a police officer, so and it permeates whether you're a white officer or a black officer. But but getting back to what you were saying about how they were doing all this over a, a two second double parked car where a guy was running into a bodega. Right now, I've been working with the Coalition to End Broken Windows Policing, and specifically, I volunteer for Police Reform Organizing Project. But there's a whole coalition of different groups, and one of the projects that we've been working on is called Swipe It Forward. I don't know if you know this but um, one of the most pu- one of the the most punitive interactions that most people of color living in low neighborhood uh, low income neighborhoods um, deal with with the police has to do in the subway um, and getting on the subway system right now anytime somebody gets arrested for a two dollar and seventy five cents fare beat it actually costs the taxpayers of New York one thousand seven hundred and fifty dollars per arrest it costs if we were to provide unlimited metro cards to every single person who gets arrested um, for fair beating, we would actually save $10 million a year. So, you know, there's a lot of different things that come into punitive interactions that people of color have with policing and, um, you know, these dealing with issues of poverty that I've talked about before. And there's so many different things that we could do to stop people's punitive interactions with the police department when it comes to issues of homelessness and poverty. And that's just one solution that we can take to cut down on the number of interactions that people have with the police to begin with. Um, but that said, I know we have uh, somebody great on the line. Stanley, I'm going to yes. go back to you so you can introduce her. Thank you so much, Lisa. And I'm glad you're talking about solutions because in the spirit of talking about solutions, we have Carmen Perez, who is a co-founder and executive director of the Justice League New York City. I was lucky enough to see Carmen speak at the National Action Network's um, headquarters this um, past Friday, and she gave a lot of good um, suggestions of things we can do moving forward. And she also spoke up about the um, Latino community being like needing to be allies and being allies and us being allies to them as well. So, Carmen, thank you so much for calling in today. Thank you so much for having me. I'm really excited to be able to be on, um, continue the conversations that we started right from the moment in which we saw the video of Alton Sterling. So happy to be here. Thank you. Thank you. So, Carmen, um, I was at the event on Friday, um, and one of the things that I was really happy that you were talking about uh, was that like we have these organizations who are, who are active and who are doing works, and when these incidents tend to happen, you have a lot of people, myself being one of them, who are like, why aren't we doing this, or we should do this. And there are organizations already doing it. And you talked about maybe having some of these organizations working closer together so that it's not a situation where everyone's kind of like scrambling at the end of it. What's, what kind of steps are you guys taking to make sure that happens in the future? So for us, it was really important to be at National Action Network um, and kind of show solidarity, right? We've been working with other organizations like Communities United for Police Reform, the Justice Committee, uh, trying to push the Right to Know Act um, and different policies that impact our communities. But I think we also have to be a little bit more intentional about our relationships and build 
collective power build a black and brown agenda around gun violence, around police reform or mass stopping mass incarceration. And that's what we're committed to. So what steps are, is, are the Justice League taking to, to be addressing that? I know a couple of organizers out there in, uh, in Baton Rouge at the moment, correct? Yeah. So we have organizers across the country under the uh, umbrella of the Gavin for Justice, which is the mother organization of Justice League. And so we do have people where we've been convening conference calls. We're working with people like Erica Ford um, from Life Camp, who, you know, we convene some of the shot callers from the East and the West to talk about real solutions in our communities. How are we not only going to address the violence that's happening at the hands of police, but also the violence that happens in our communities? Um, so we've been on conference calls. We've been talking about how do we build our agenda what do we really want, right? We understand that there are tactics that are being used, like what we saw with Representative John Lewis and him doing a sit-in around, you know, gun violence, gun laws, uh, but the law didn't really um, speak to the community and had implications that were ha- more harmful to black and brown and Muslim communities than they were um, solutions. So I think for us, it, it, this gives us an opportunity to really stop oftentimes organizations like Justice League and, and Justice Committee and all and all of us that are doing this work on the front lines every single day, you know, are under-resourced. And because we're under-resourced, we're just kind of like moving, 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 uh, having to respond rapidly to what's happening on the ground. But this is giving us a moment to really stop and think about what we need and actually come together so that we could build our black and brown agenda and collective power. And Carmen, I just want to salute you and also the other members of the New York Justice League and, and activists who dedicate their lives to fighting on the ground, especially when you're so under-resourced, as you just mentioned. Like, it's a hard job. It's already emotionally distressing. And on top of that, you don't really have the resources and the funds to get what needs to be done. But somehow you guys make it work. So salute to you. And um, the question I wanted to ask is, you know, right now, every time there's a, a brutal shooting of a black or brown person, especially when it's caught on camera, everyone is up in arms, especially people who are not organizers, not activists, but people are just angry. And what I'm hearing is people don't really have a sense of direction on what they should do or what they can do. You know, I like someone like me. I go to marches, you know, I try to volunteer, do do different things, but they want to, some people don't want to just go to a march. They either can't or they want to do more. So what advice do you give like average civilians who are saying, I'm mad, I'm fed up. I either want to be an alley or I want to protect my people. What can, what can they do? And I really, I really think there's a, a grand opportunity that we could take advantage of here when people are saying that, right? They have righteous anger. They want to direct it towards something. And, you know, one of the things that we've been talking about, um, especially, you know, what, uh, the conversation that happened at NAN was that the Justice Committee had talked about if you are near a local cop watch, get involved, right? Get out and vote. Help support the policies that impact our communities. There's the End Racial Profiling Act, right? There's also stopping the militarization of policing um, on a federal level. And then we have our other coalition partners that are working on local policies like the Right to Know Act, the legislative package that aims to protect the civil and human rights of New Yorkers. Um, also, you know, if you teach yoga, right, like teach some self-care courses to activists like ourselves, I mean, we are, and we are, we are in pain, right, spiritually, in pain, and um, because every day we turn on the news, um, there's a new body, there's a new person. 
Um, there were actually five deaths since July, 4th of July. Um, there was Antonio Nunez, who was killed. Um, there was also Pedro Villanueva. There was Deron Small. Um, and those are the, the names that we haven't really heard um, because we did, those weren't caught on camera. Um, but they were definitely killed by, at the hands of police. But we also, you know, if, if people work, um, are artists, right, work with your local community, put, bring people together to, like, you know, have a day of art um, as an outlet. Also, you know, if you, if whatever you do well, you don't need to become an activist and, and, and go in marches if that's not what you want to do, but bring your talent to the table. And that's the way in which we build Justice League. When we talk about not having financial resources, what we do have at Justice League are human resources. We have Tamika Mallory, who has a consulting firm on communications. We have Linda Sarsour, who works in the Arab-American community and the Muslim community. We have Marvin Bean, who is my co-founder, who um, does art for Amnesty International. So we, what we do is we come together and we build collective power. We're able to bring each other's talents to the table so that and we could do something that's impactful. And so I ask people to really think about what's your gift and how could you contribute it and also if 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 you just if you have the financial resources, please you know donate to those of us that are actually doing the work on the ground. Um, you know, there's different ways in which people could get involved. Thank you, thank you very much for that, Carmen. So now we know we got to let you go, but before we do, I would just like to ask you to let let listeners know how they can get involved, how they can connect with the Justice League, and how they can hit the ground running as well. Of course, of course. Thank you for that. So um, people could go to our website. It's gatheringforjustice.org, G-A-T-H-E-R-I-N-G-F-O-R-J-U-S-T-I-C.org. And also they could follow us on Twitter and Instagram and Facebook. We are at NY Justice League. Thank you so much for calling in today, Carmen, and you have a great day. Thank you. Thank you both. Thank you so much, Carmen. All right. All right. Peace. Guys, I have some new information for you. If you are in Harlem or just are looking for another way to get involved, um, so there's there's a Kappa Alpha Psi and, and some other members of the Divine Nine are hosting a Greeks for Change event at H Loft. The address is 226 West 145th Street in New York City today. It's starting at 3 p.m. All are welcome. They have a full agenda. They're going to be doing a meet and greet, open for discussion, group resolutions, collective discussions of resolutions, and then passing out literature for organizations who are doing work. If you want to get involved, there are plenty of ways to get involved and get plugged into the movement. And don't listen to anyone who tells you that marching doesn't work or policy doesn't work. All tactics within the movement work. Don't shoot down anything. Use everything. Alyssa, do you have a comment? Yeah, no, I do. Um, uh, I know we're going to go to break soon. You know, something that always comes up, and, and thankfully, I'm really happy nobody's called in and said, what am I going to say? Somebody's always going to call and say, but what about black on black crime? Right. That's like a refrain that you hear a lot when we're talking about police violence. And like, I just thought that I wanted to address that affirmatively because nobody has called and said that, thankfully. Um, But like it's apples and oranges. It's a non sequitur. Like when people bring it up, it just bothers me. Like stop bringing it up. We like we understand that there are issues. There's white on white crime. It's at 88 percent. There's black on black crime. It's at 90 percent. Like people kill other people. We get that. But but, you know, when Ray kills Ty, Ray goes to jail for life. Our issue is when Officer Bob kills Ty and there's audio and there's video and there's 19 witnesses and Officer Bob goes home on paid administrative leave. Yep. That 
that's the issue. So nobody is saying that other things are not an issue. Um, and actually, there's a great op-ed in the New York Times um, called Killing in Black and White, which I urge everybody to read. And she says, if you want interracial killing, then you need to have interracial communities. Yeah. And you know what? She's right. Like, we are still living in communities that are segregated. And we still have situations, as we pointed out, where we have people that aren't familiar with the community policing the community. Yeah. And yes, we are trying to change that. So vote and protest and voice your, you know, voice your opinion and s- sign petitions and get involved with police reform uh, groups that are doing work on the ground, um, you know, or if you can't get, actually give the time, but you have money to give, donate to some of these groups, help get involved in actions, film the police if you see a police interaction going on. Um, you know, I'm, I'm going to end my final comments right now, which is to say there's two quotes that always come to mind when I think about this. The first one is Desmond Tutu. People always think about the beginning of the quote, but they always leave out the second part, and it's important. The full quote is, if you are neutral in situations of injustice, you have chosen the side of the oppressor. If an elephant has its foot on the tail of a mouse and you say that you are neutral, the mouse will not appreciate your appreciate your neutrality, you know, which is to say you have to look out for the little guy. You cannot just stand back and try and be neutral. If you do that, you are part of the problem. You are not part of the solution. As Martin Luther King once said, injustice anywhere is a threat to justice everywhere. We are caught in an inescapable network of mutuality that is tied to a single garment of destiny. Whatever affects one directly infects all indirectly. Never again can we afford to live with a narrow provincial outside agitator a deal. Anyone who lives in the United States can never be considered an outsider. This affects all of us, black, white, Hispanic, Asian, whether you are in a low-income community of color or whether you live on the Upper East Side. Don't be neutral. Speak out. Don't be part of the oppressor. Be part of the people who are standing out for those that are oppressed. Selena, you have any closing statements? Yeah, definitely. Um, so Carmen did a great job in listing a number of solutions that we can all take part in, whether you're a part of groups like the New York Justice League or NAN and groups that do wonderful work uh, when it comes to just fighting police brutality, or if you're someone who's just outraged and, you know, ready to, to make some tangible changes. But I also want to say a, a big thing that needs to be done is accountability, Right. Officers need to call murder, murder. They also need to stand as allies with the people because before they put on those blue uniforms, they're human beings. And especially if they're black and Latino, I mean, there have been incidents where off duty black and Latino cops have been shot down by other cops. So, right. So this is, uh, again, something that um, that we need to do. And I think that uh, another point that needs to be made here is when it comes to accountability, the media has a huge role in that as well. And that is making sure that the public is fully informed on how public sector employees act. And what and what that means is instead of always criminalizing victims by putting up Alton Sterling's, um, Sterling's uh, mugshot and talking about his criminal record, why aren't we talking about the criminal records of the cops that shot him? Because they had a number of complaints against them. And also, the off-duty cop that shot Durham Ron Small, right, right in Brooklyn, in East New York, on uh, J- uh, July 4th. He also, back in 2014, 
was involved in a racially uh, racially violent case in which he and another officer were accused of beating up a black person. The other person, uh, the other officer also allegedly called that man the N-word and New York City wound up paying that victim $20,000 in a lawsuit. But you know what? That cop that shot Dorland Small, he... After that incident in 2014, he went right back on active duty. And guess what? He is currently on active duty. So I think that we need to stop ignoring police officers that get all these complaints. Stop giving them slaps on the wrist. Because what's happening over and over again is they're going out and killing people. They don't get better. They get worse. I have a fun fact for you, Selena, about that same officer. So he said the reason that he shot the guy was because he was being punched in the face. Some video just leaked. He never... I'm I'm sorry I forgot I forgot the victim's name unfortunately um but he was he was never punching the officer Darlon Small Darlon Small he never touched the officer he came out of his car and went towards the cop's car and the cop shot him that's what happened in the video the cop lied the witnesses lied yep that, that tells you the power of the police and the power of of just straight up BS. But guys, before I start cursing in here, I want to close this out. And with the closing, I want to give you guys some important information. We have activists and protesters in the Baton Rouge prison right now. If you want to help get them bailed out, you can call 225-389-3800 and demand the release of all protesters. If you have the money to, please donate funds towards the CrowdRise to pay for their bail. That's CrowdRise.com slash Baton hyphen Rouge hyphen bail hyphen fund. We'll tweet it out for you. We can all be an ally in one way or another if you don't talk tweet if you can't tweet donate if you can't donate share let's do something and now i want to close out the conversation like this we are stuck in a situation where we're having the same conversation that we had two weeks ago and a month before that we had that conversation and three months before that we had that conversation and the year before that we were in the studio and we were frustrated and we didn't know what to do because we were tired of having the conversation and the reason that we continue to have this conversation is because of racism of course and one thing you need to understand about racism is that racism is a creation of white people. It's as simple as that. And you might not like what I'm saying, you might not agree with me, but it's true because I didn't create this modern idea of slavery that white people did because there was slavery in Africa, there was slavery in China, there was slavery in the Middle East, but it wasn't the way it was. That It wasn't the kind of slavery that we saw in Jamestown, Virginia. It wasn't like that. It wasn't the kind of slavery we saw in the Caribbean. It wasn't the kind of slavery we saw in Mississippi. That slavery, that idea was created by white people. Jim Crow laws, white people. The fact that we had to go to war to stop slavery, white people. School to prison pipeline, white people. You may not have been directly involved in writing those laws or pushing that slavery or being a slave or hosing down a black person, or shooting Martin Luther King. But if you are white, you suffer from something I like to call white privilege. And it's helped you out a lot, whether you know it or not. So you now have a responsibility to stand up and do something. And now for people of color, we will never stop having these conversations and never stop being mad and never stop saying never again and never stop hearing me spit these diatribes and pontificate about police violence until we have power and not just power we have to have love because love without power is nothing but a useless emotion and power without love is supremacy we have a lot of supremacy it's called white supremacy it's called male supremacy it's called cisgender straight supremacy and i'm tired of supremacy what i need is love what i want is power and when you have love and you have power you can put your foot on the neck of the establishment and say we're not going to take this anymore and if you don't want to take this anymore start the love get some power you cannot have a 
movement that's only active on Tuesdays and Thursdays or when someone gets shot. The movement must always be moving. The movement must always be growing because when your movement is not growing, it is dying. And guess what? We are dying in the numbers. But if you don't want to quit and if you don't want to give up, you also have to remember you can't stop believing because the minute we stop believing is the minute we die forever. And with that, I'm going to switch with the random song because I want you guys to come out of this feeling like we can have some hope, and that's Don't Stop Believing. It's one of my favorite songs because when I feel really down, it's one of those tracks that kind of pick you up, and hopefully it picks you guys up too. And so we'll play that song. When we come back, we'll be doing a news roundup, guys. And we are back on Let Your Voice Be Heard on 90.3 FM, WHCR, The Voice of Harlem. If you are just tuning in, I'm here with Selena Hill and Alyssa Fuchs, and we just finished talking about the recent incidents of all the black lives lost this past week by the hands of the police. And, of course, we can mention that the Dallas police officers were killed as well, but this is about black lives at the moment, and we send condolences to the families in Dallas, but they will... Their, their deaths will be fought for and they will get justice. I'm not too sure about the black lives who are here. So now, if you are just tuning in and you want to know what we're talking about now, it is time for the news roundup where we talk about our favorite stories, things that made you laugh, things that made you cry, flip a table, curse, or maybe even do the cat daddy. And I want to give you guys one quick announcement. I'm repeating this announcement. Today, if you want to get involved, if you want to find a way to get active, the Greek... The Super Punch-Out group, the group that makes a Punch-Out event, I'm butchering their names, obviously, is hosting a Greeks for Change event today at 3 p.m. at 226 West 145th Street. That's at H Loft. It's 226 West 145th Street, New York City. I have some plans after the show, but I'm going to try my best to make it there. So if you see me, give me a high five or just push me knowingly. What are you Don't doing? push me. You're going to brunch? No, no, no. Marilyn Mar- <laughs> and I made plans to hang out after the show. To brunch? No, no, no brunch. We just want, <laughs> like, we actually want to go see, like, some comedy because I'm like, it's been so stressful all week. Right. That's just, what they're calling it these days. <laughs> I just need something like, like, some happiness. You know what right. I mean? Right. Yeah. So, speaking of happiness, let's yeah. talk about Beyonce. So, um, Beyonce and Jay Z were in London. Beyonce's doing her concert there, the, on the, uh, the, uh, what's the formation tour, um, which I saw here at City Field. And, um, so they're at Wilmington and they're watching the final match and Serena wins the the Wimbledon. She wins the whole thing and Beyonce sort of doesn't know what's going on and it's caught on video. Like everybody stands up and starts cheering and Beyonce's just like, <laughs> she's like what's happening oh right. i'm supposed to get up and clap now and then she's just starts clapping it's right. so funny so you got to check out that beyonce so, gives away with any and everything Beyonce's um <laughs> just like everybody else who doesn't really know what's going on in tennis and it's yeah. like oh we're supposed to clap now i think she won <laughs> right well well shout out to beyonce besides just looking ever so fierce with jay-z at that match um she also changed her website in light of all of the police violence against alton sterling Mm-hmm. and Philando uh, Castile. So when I saw that, I just commended her because oftentimes what happens when we see uh, p- violence against black people, whether it's in our own communities or it's from a police officer, a lot of times black celebrities don't say anything, mm-hmm. right? They either feel scared or they don't want to put their jobs on the line or they don't want to be too controversial. And it's like, it just irks me because a lot of them also come from these communities and it could have been them if they didn't make it out the hood. But comments to her and also uh, the game, Snoop Dogg, Jay-Z, a number of people and athletes have actually started speaking out and taking some action. So Snoop Dogg and the game actually led a march to LAPD headquarters 
brothers with a, a number of black men just to say, like, you know what? The, we are the people in the community and we want to start off right. Like we want to create peace. And we want to create this dialogue between us so that there's no longer a divide between uh, the community and police. And Jay-Z put out a song. Um, it was a really bad song, actually. But what song was this thing? Um, Can we get that? It's called, you don't want to hear it. It's not good. It's, it can't be that it's bad. It's called Pray. I'm like, yeah, I, this is like not good Jay-Z. I got, I got to hear Jay-Z it now. Jay-Z needs to go back to when he, he made Reasonable Doubt. And it, like, it could just be that the beat doesn't match the, like, his flow. But it's, I don't know. I, maybe I got to listen again. But you know I love me some Jay-Z. But he's like, yeah, going to the store. He's like one, two, three, four, and the beat's going one. Stop. Two. It doesn't matter. And I'm like, Jim, What's man, it? what? Have, Wasn't he in retirement? I have chill, another. Chill, chill, chill. Don't be mad at me. Uh, so I have another good story that, you know, is so shocking. And by that, I mean, it really is not going to surprise you at all. Huh? So Gretchen Carlson, Who's who yeah, she I used to be on Fox News, okay, she's now suing Fox News because she says that Roger Ailes, who owns Fox News, mm-hmm. um, like was sexually harassing her and <laughs> trying to get her to sleep with him. And also she said that there's a pervasive culture of sexual harassment at Fox News. And so I ask you, are you surprised to hear that there is a pervasive culture of sexual harassment against the women at Fox News? Roger L trying to get in somebody guts for a promotion. I'm not surprised. I, I mean, mean, go on. No, no. Continue. Alyssa. I was going to say, this is a place where like, but like you know, they constantly refer to women as bimbos. They have a leg cam where they mm-hmm. check out how Gretchen Carlson's legs are looking. Like, what? good for Gretchen. She's finally waking up and smelling the coffee. Or the racism. <laughs> Sexism for that. Um, and also, I watch Fox News time and time just for a little comedy and entertainment <laughs> or if I just feel like being really mad. And they also, like, I've heard this, that they tell the women to wear dresses and, like, short dresses so they can show their legs. And then every time I watch it, I'm like, that's the only thing they're doing. Like, Fox News is so sexist. And here's the thing. Like, Megyn Kelly, despite the fact I probably disagree with, like, 90% of her politics, she's, like, smart, you know? She is? A little bit. She actually is. She's actually pretty smart. And, like, you know, they basically dress her up to be this caricature of something, and they don't do that to their male hosts. Like, could you imagine them dressing Bill O'Reilly up to be a character? I mean, Bill O'Reilly is already a character, but, like, that's in his own right. Like, they don't need to dress him up for that. So when I hear that there's sexual harassment going on over at Fox News, I got to tell you, I'm just, uh, you know, I'm just as surprised as when I hear that you got stopped and asked for your ID taking out the garbage. And uh, that's to say I'm times. not surprised at all. Good times in New York City. So in some other news that's not people being shot, Kevin Durant is a punk. He signed with the Golden State Warriors. Are you kidding me? So first of all, he he was with the the, um, Oklahoma City Thunder. They had a 3-1 lead against the Golden State Warriors in the Western Conference Finals. They They blew the lead. And then he went and signed with them. Who who's raising these dudes? Like who like who wants to win? And they didn't even win this year. Yeah, like who's raising these dudes? I gotta tell you, basketball is a sport that I just don't really care about, and maybe that makes me a hater. But it does. (laughs) I'm all about hockey all the time. Hitting a black puck across the white floor, huh, Alyssa? (laughs) But like, talk to me some more, beloved. But I mean, like you're talking about heart hating, but like, aren't isn't everybody else hating on his decision? Like, well, no, like if you want to go to to Golden State, that's fine. But I'm gonna tell you what it makes you. It makes you soft because let me tell you something about Kobe Bryant. Let me tell you something about Michael Jordan. If Jordan lost to the Detroit Pistons in 1989 in the Eastern Conference Finals, and they said, "Yo, come to our team," he would have spit in their face. Wow, because Jordan loyalty. wants to be, no, not <laughs> no, loyalty. He just changed sports altogether. No, because Jordan wants, wanted to be the best. And in order to be the best, you have to beat the best. That's why Kobe didn't want to be play with Shaq anymore because he wanted to prove that he was the best and the only way he could do that was by winning a championship without Shaq all these players want to run around playing with their BFFs they're yeah. soft 
Like you think you think I'm gonna join the team of the best person? No, I'm going after him. I want to take his spot. Mm. Are you crazy? Well, I mean, I understand what you're saying, but we'll see. I mean, I'm sure his fans will follow him to Oklahoma. Me. Well, or maybe not. I don't know. Oklahoma. Man, listen, or maybe man, not. I can't curse on it. You lucky. It's all good, guys. But guys, if you want to definitely let your voice be heard, you can call in at two one two six five zero six nine zero three, or you can tweet us at uh, be, be heard underscore radio. radio. Selena, can you read some of the tweets we were getting? on air when we were doing the last segment. We didn't get a chance to get to them. We have a couple of minutes before the next segment. Well, we do need to talk about what's going on in Iraq, though, because that's oh. another really big, important situation. Oh, um, yeah, you're right. But, you know, I, if, if Selena wants to read, like, two or three real quick, and then we can go into speaking about, because that's another situation where there's a lot of injustices going on, and a lot of people are not paying attention well, to it. Well, speaking of, Great Britain just released a report on Iraq and why they went to the war, and Vox had an article in there which pretty much said George Bush and the White House, they knew there were no weapons of mass destruction. They knew. Oh, you mean there was white lies and nobody did anything about it? Straight up. Like, they absolutely knew there were no weapons of mass destruction and they still went. And the only reason Great Britain went to war was because they were worried that they didn't go with the U.S. George Bush was going to try to block Great Britain from having trade relations with the United States. That was the only reason. Estimated 250,000 people died because Great Britain didn't want to be left out of the cool table. No, you're you're absolutely right, uh, Stanley. And I think that, you know, this is something that we all known and seen. But again, this is reflective of the country that we live in, where you have George Bush going into Iraq. No one stopped him. There was evidence that there were no weapons of mass destruction. He still went over there. He caused havoc in the Middle East and still there's no accountability. I mean, if you look at I me, mean, we were just we just had a segment on the lack of accountability and policing. I mean, it comes from the higher ups. It's yeah. like if you have a position of power, if you're white, if you're male, you can get away with murder and that's literally what's been happening. If Obama would have done this, they would have oh lynched him on live television. <laughs> I mean, I'm, you think I'm joking? Literally or figuratively, that could be true. You put it past America? No, exactly. not really, not really. Um, you know, I mean, but you have to remember, this all starts with a big lie to begin with, and that is the lie of that Bush won the election to begin oh. with. I mean, like we could take this all the way back to the year 2000 when Al Gore wins the popular vote, and then we have like I don't know, hanging chads in Florida, and the next thing you know, Justice Scalia um is saying, oh, oops, you know, uh, George Bush is the president, and we're all like, yeah. Wait, what? Wait, what just happened? Um, and like, you know, obviously we can always do the coulda, shoulda, woulda if this would have happened, if that would have happened, like things would have been different. But like there's a direct correlation between Bush becoming the president, lying to us about the Iraq war and some of the things that are going on now, which I really want to get an opportunity to talk about in the last few minutes, which is um, these terror, these attacks that um, that ISIS is engaging in against other Muslims during the month of Ramadan. So Ramadan is the um, holiest uh, holiday uh, in the Islamic religion. Um, People fast. They have a meal before the sun comes up. They fast all day. They do not eat another meal uh, called an iftar until the end of the day when they break the fast. Um, And it is the holiest holiday. And what a lot of people um, have not been paying attention to here in America is that um, it, that ISIS has been engaging in terrorist attacks against Muslim people during Ramadan. There was two huge suicide bombings in Iraq. Um, there was a terrorist attack, um, I believe, in a country in Indonesia or somewhere in that in Southeast Asia. Mm. Um, there has been multiple attacks against um, other Muslims by ISIS, which just goes to show you that like ISIS does not represent 99.9% of Muslims living in the world. And in fact, 
ISIS, you know, Ramadan is such a holy holiday that you don't even eat during Ramadan during yeah. the day, let alone engage in the killing of other people. Um, so, you know, I just wanted to get to address that because a lot of times we talk about underrepresented communities. And one of the most underrepresented communities is Muslims living outside of the U.S. Yep. Um, and that are getting killed by ISIS and by other Muslims. And, uh, you know, white America is so concerned with domestic terrorism and like, oh, my God, those brown people and we might get killed in mm-hmm. a terrorist attack that they forget about how many brown people are being being killed by these terrorists. Want to talk about domestic ter- terrorism? Talk about the police. Talk about the KKK. Talk about these crazy white folk. I just want to definitely say that these lives, these lives that have been lost in the Middle East, they definitely matter. The reason that ISIS is doing this is because they're losing. Right. That's why, because they can't. They're, they're trying to start a war with America. It's not happening. So now they're going after their own people because they are not Muslim. They do not represent Islam, and we have to make sure that we are 120 percent standing with our Muslim sisters and brothers. Because just like they're standing with us, they're marching with us, they're shouting with us, they're crying with us. We have to be doing the same for them. So we do have a caller on the line. I want to get to this is Haja. Haja, let your voice be heard. Yes, I uh, thank you. Um, Want to say that. Um, um, you're right. They're not Muslims. They are extremists. Okay. There's a difference. And uh, I want to thank you. I want to thank your whole team for what you guys are doing. We very much need this on on community radio like WHCR. And and um, and I want to thank you for your passion, man. You know, Stanley. I want to thank you for your passion. And uh, y'all have a good day here. Thank you, too, Haja. We want to thank you for listening, supporting us, and also tuning in. We definitely support and appreciate all of the support from the community. Um, You know, that being said, we do have to go on a quick break, but don't go anywhere. When we come back, we will be speaking to the lead plaintiff in the NYPD 12 case. Again, black and Latino cops are blowing the whistle on the illegal quota system, and we have Edwin Raymond right here in studio with us, so we're going to go right in depth as soon as we get back from this break. This is Let Your Voice Be Heard. WHCR 90.3 FM New York. And we are back. This is Let Your Voice Be Heard right here on WHCR 90.3 FM, the voice of Harlem. Again, my name is Selena Hill. I'm here with my two co-hosts, Stanley Fritz and Alyssa Fuchs. FYI, you guys are like two of my favorite people. I know I don't say that often or maybe ever. Yeah, what? Selena turned off my mic. She wants to block my no, voice. The I don't. Who hate the most is not here with us this week. <laughs> Jackie oh, yeah, Cohen. Jackie. Shout out to Jackie Cohen. She couldn't Jackie. make it in today. I hate you. All right. Stanley, so st- speaking Stanley of hate, <laughs> speaking of the hate that Stanley has festering within him towards us, um, let's talk about some 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 real hate. Some some things that are really actually hurting black and brown communities. And if you ask me, it's all rooted in hate. So, um, you know, as I mentioned earlier in this show. When we were talking about police violence, we were talking about police brutality and these tactics that target black and brown people. There are also there's also a number of tactics right here in New York City that target black and brown people. And what I'm talking about is the NYPD 12 case, again, which is a group of black and Latino officers who have decided to take a stand and say enough is enough. We're blowing the whistle on this illegal quota system when it comes to arrests and it comes to summonses. So what they've been saying is um, 
they sign up they sign up to protect these communities uh, they're from these communities whether they're in the Bronx they're in Brooklyn Harlem wherever it is but instead they're being trained and taught to target ethnic communities and even disenfranchised communities like the LGBT community to make a summons, to make a quota, to, or to build up basically their, their record. Um, and it's unfair, it's unjust, and it hurts the most vulnerable communities that we have here in New York City. So... A number of people have decided to speak out. It started off with um, a, a few of you guys, and now it's grown, and you guys are getting, you know, a lot of coverage. Not enough, I will say that. This is not being covered enough in mainstream media, and we definitely get, need to get the word out. So to help us get the word out, we have a very special guest here with us in studio. His name is Edwin Raymond, and he is the lead plaintiff in this NYPD 12 case. Again, a class a class action a lawsuit against the NYPD for this Quota system. Thank you so much, Edwin, for coming down uh, here at WATR and speaking to us uh, uh, here at Let Your Voice Be Heard. And um, I want to start this conversation by just asking you, as a police officer, you know, I don't know how long you've been on the job, but what made you decide to speak out about this injustice and put your own livelihood in jeopardy by speaking out about, again, unfair tactics? Well, uh, first thing, thanks for having me on the show. I really appreciate it. Um, you know, thanks. We have to spread awareness at any chance that we get, and uh, this is great, a great opportunity. I've been a cop for eight years. Uh, two days ago was the eight-year anniversary, wow. actually. And, um, I mean, I, I always knew that I wasn't going to deviate from the fundamentals of what policing is supposed to be because, you know, in spite of the origins of policing, when you see what the written objectives are, they're actually very noble. You know, and, and when I was in the academy and I noticed that, I said, I could do this. You know, this is, the, you know, I, if anything, I was looking for the part where it says to racially profile and I couldn't mm. find it. So I said, well, if this is what we're supposed to be doing on paper, then because I, I, I joined say, saying to myself, I'm going to do everything right. But the things they asked me to do that's wrong on pa- thinking it's on paper, I'm not going to do. So in the academy, I discovered it wasn't even on paper, you know, that what's wrong with the job. So um, I knew I was never going to deviate from the fundamentals once I saw what they were. So then, you know, Academy is done six months later. Now I'm out there on the streets and day one, day one, immediately the quota was thrown at us. Wow. You know, and, and I thought this is just so we could get our feet wet, just so we can get it, the experience to how it is to make an arrest, how to, you know, what the paperwork is, you know, what paperwork is required, et cetera. But then the next day it was the same thing. And then the next day it was the same thing. And you weren't recognized for anything but how many people you stopped and frisked, arrested, and gave summonses to. And I said, wait, this is it. <laughs> this is what I've been going through as a teenager. This is what's causing what caused the experiences that I had as a teenager, and I couldn't believe it. And, again, I knew I was never going to conform to it, and, you know, I didn't know I was going to speak out on this level yet, right. but I knew I wasn't going to conform. And the more it, it started messing with my career— mm. I still knew I wasn't going to come. I'd rather sacrifice my career. And, and wow. you know, one of the captains and lieutenants said, you do know you're not going to get promoted if you, don't, if you don't play the game. I said, if I have to 
sacrifice my promotion, then so be it. It's worth it. You do know you could get fired for this. If, and I repeat, if I have to get fired for this, then so be it because I'm doing nothing wrong. That is so noble. And I just want to mention that, you know, it, it reminds me, it's reminiscent of, you know, soldiers in the, the civil rights movement who were like, I'm going to sacrifice my life. You know, you know, thank God you don't have to physically put your life on the line, but your livelihood you're putting on the line. And that's the type of sacrifice that we all appreciate in order to get change. And justice. Yeah, no, I mean, well, I, you say, thankfully, that's not the case. I mean, but there has been instances within the New York City Police Department where whistleblowers were then subjected to false arrest and other uh, things by the department um, because the department was trying to cover up uh, the downgrading of crimes or cover up their this, this quota that, um, you know, Officer Raymond is talking about. Um, and so there is uh, obviously, as far as I'm concerned, a risk, um, you know, maybe it's not your life. Um, in that sense. Um, but do you perceive some of those risks? I mean, what's your current status with the department um, as we speak? And do you perceive some of the risks that I just talk about that those things could happen to you because of this? Well, you know, uh, prior to making the decision to go public and, and kind of be the face of this, I, I laid out all possibilities. And that was one of them. You know, I'd be a fool to not think of that possibility. If you remember, you know, a few, a few decades ago, uh, Frank Serpico, he was the original whistleblower, yep. you know, the, the father of whistleblowing when it comes to um, police corruption. And he was shot in the head. Thankfully, he survived it. But oh, I, w I, w I laid out all possibilities and I still I accepted every single one because, it, you know, you get to a point where you're just tired, you know, and, and I, I'm not a father yet. But I think about all of my friends who have um, young boys, you know, especially young black boys. Uh, I spoke to a few yesterday. I told them, you know. When I do this, I do this for you. This isn't for me at all. If I was worried about myself, I would have cashed in a long time ago. I'm supposed to be a sergeant right now. Mm, you know, wow. I, I was supposed to get promoted on December 17th to sergeant. It's like a $20,000 raise to sign papers. You know, and I missed out on that. And, and I'd miss out on it. Like, it, it's not even, if, again, it's that when you, when you, when you weigh the two, it, it's, not, it's completely worth it, you know, because millions of lives would be affected by this. Mm. You have to remember, New York is, is the epicenter of a lot of these issues. So broken windows policing, um, uh, um, quota policing, this starts in New York. You know, this starts in New York about 20 years ago and then spread throughout the rest of the nation. One thing about police departments in this nation, when they want to choose um, – new leadership, they always go to the re newly retired chiefs from the NYPD. And what they do is they bring the system there, you know, Timoney in, 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 uh, in Miami. And, and if you do the research, you'll, sh you'll see a lot of former NYPD chiefs go on to be, you know, the top cop in, in other cities. And they bring Comstat, broken windows, and everything that's causing these problems here. They bring it there. And before you know it, you get it in Ferguson, smaller towns. As uh, another one in, in the 12 said, NYPD New York City is Ferguson on steroids. This is where this is this is the real Ferguson, you know. All that the, the AG's um, investigation, it, it everything they laid out about Ferguson, you know, every cop that read it was like, well, what what what, what are they going to investigate here? You know, because mm. this is where it started. You know, Stanley. So my question for you is, when was your breaking point? Um, to meaning to speak out or to yeah to speak out. Um. Well, when I originally contacted the attorney, I just wanted to help with the evidence that I collected because, you know, I recorded uh, supervisors telling me to engage in racist and illegal policing. Mm -hmm. And, um, the, you know, I was asked to, to, to be the lead. And, you know, I, I spoke to my team and my mentors, 
and they said this is all you you know this is this is you you you're the one for this um and so i would say i decided to last year last spring spring of 2015 that's when i said you know what whatever has to happen so be it i have to you know someone has to speak out from within cuz one thing uh law enforcement uh likes to do is well you don't put on a uniform you don't know how it really is well i do mm. you can't tell me that you know i know how it feels to wrestle with someone i've had people at gunpoint i've you know i've done i've done it all you know and and i know how it is to deal with someone who doesn't want to comply you know and and every now and then there might be a situation where deadly physical force is the option but thankfully i haven't had to do that and There have even been situations where I chose not to use deadly physical force and colleagues said, "Why didn't you shoot him?" You know, and I said cuz I didn't wow. need to. <laughs> you know. I mean, I'm just thinking like you're one of the good cops. You're one of the the people that we need in our community to be a mentor, to be a leader and to help, you know, mend these broken relationships we have between police officers and communities of color. But look, it's so disheartening what happened and the fact that you can't do your job and you were really good at your job. Mm. Um I want to take it back to the case and this class action uh, um lawsuit because it didn't start off this big I, i understand that there was like a handful of you guys um and now it was about five of you and it's grew into 12 people now um so so let's just take it back to talk about like who blew the first whistle and how did this um uh, uh, how did this litigation even come about well the first and you know i really admire him because at the time i i had less than 2 years on and i and it was like the the twilight zone i couldn't believe what we were really doing and and every you know i read the paper every morning before that's how i start my day i read different periodicals and and the official spokesperson for the department at the time paul brown uh deputy commissioner of public information you know i would literally read the lies he's telling the people and like he would say we don't engage in a b and c and then when i start work at 3 we're being told to do a b and c and i said this is crazy and um but then comes Adil Polanco um on channel 7 I'm almost flipping channels and here he is laying it out the quotas and and um you know race based policing uh, and I said wow you know I really admire this brother and it let me it, it let, like it reinforced to, to myself that I wasn't losing my mind and and you know someone else can see that something was wrong Well, you know, I actually I had an opportunity Stanley and I, I mentioned this earlier. We went to go hear Adele Polanco speak, and he said that when he was growing up, the reason why he wanted to become a police officer is because the officers in his community were from his community and they interacted with him and they would go like they would come to the park and play basketball with people and they knew the people living in the community and they knew who the bad people were and they knew who the good people were um you know and so like they wouldn't like they wouldn't mess with somebody when they went down to the store just to mess with them just to get a number because they knew that person they knew that that's Ms. Brown's son you know and and that's this person's this person's daughter and so like there was a connection between them and that and and he said that that's a really a big reason for him why he wanted to step out because when he joined the department he was expecting that to be just like that that he would get placed in a community where he was from and he would get to interact with people and then he realized like wait that's not what this is about and unfortunately for me I can't really talk about any ongoing litigation cuz I do sue the police department um uh, you know as an attorney with Conan Fitch but what I will tell you um just from day to day what I see coming in through my office which is like 99% of my clients are black and hispanic and i could be 
basically tell you their story is so similar. Every time somebody comes into my office, I hear like a very, very similar story. You know, I was going to the bodega. I, I shook hands with somebody. The next thing I know, they told me that I had made a drug sale or I had bought drugs, but I didn't have any drugs on me or I had sold drugs when I don't sell drugs or, you know, I was um, I was in the car and I got pulled over. They said I had a suspended license that I didn't have or they said I didn't they had that I had a warrant that I had cleared up three months ago. And then I had to spend 24 hours going through the system and, you know, sitting in a dirty jail cell and seeing a judge and having to be searched and having my clothes removed and getting fingerprinted. And the whole experience is humiliating. And all of this is going on because somebody needed to get overtime. Somebody needed to make some number so that they were going to get promoted or they were going to get, um, you know, a, a, a better evaluation. And that's a problem. We have a constitution. You know, people should be stopped and frisked if they're engaging in activity that's potentially suspicious or criminal. But if they're not, like, they're not, they shouldn't just be another checkbox, like, that somebody's checking in order to, you know, go home and feel good about themselves and about their evaluation at the end of the day. Thank you so much for that, Alyssa. So, guys, if you're just tuning in, you can give us a call at 212-650-6903. Again, that is 212-650-6903. Or tweet us at BeHerd underscore radio. So the question I have for you is, how, how did other officers respond when, like, they, they, their first day and all of a sudden they're like, oh, you have to stop and frisk five people and arrest six people. I'm making those numbers up, obviously. But, like, how, did, how do other officers respond? Is, it, is there that same kind of outrage? Well, the initial response is, is it, I wouldn't call it outrage. It's more confusion because mm. it's just, it, it contradicts what we learn in the academy completely. Mm. Um, but after about two weeks of confusion, it becomes conform. And then you'll watch them five months later the rookies behind us telling them to do the same thing. Like I, I've watched, you know, about four years in, I would every six months I, w- I would watch uh, uh, r- rookies at first confused at what, what's asked of us and six months later teaching it right back to another wow. group of confused rookies who then yeah. six, it's just, you know, perpetuates. Sounds like you could stop, oh. No, yeah. no, I mean, oh no, you're absolutely right and it just sounds like an ongoing cycle that, you know, has to end and obviously we commend you because you're taking a stance to end this. Um, again, guys, if you're just tuning in, we have Edwin Raymond here with us in studio. He is a lead plank- plaintiff in the NYPD 12 case. You guys can call in with questions or comments at 212-650-6903. We have to take a quick break but when we come back we will continue this very important conversation about what's going on right here with our own nypd this is let your voice be heard This is Let Your Voice Be Heard right here on WHCR 90.3 FM, the voice of Harlem. Before we went on break, we were talking to Edwin Raymond. Again, he is the lead plaintiff in the federal class action lawsuit against the NYPD for violating a 2010 state ban on quotas. So he and 11 other Latino and black officers are blowing the whistle and just telling the world what it's like to be an NYPD officer. As he said, you know, you're trained for one thing most of you guys go in there because you want to help protect communities of color but then on your first day on duty you're told to stop and frisk you're told to arrest a certain group of people you're told to to make sure you target these disenfranchised people because you have to build a quota and 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 i remember i was watching um 
an interview that you guys have done, and I forgot who said it, but one of the officers that are part of the case said, the reason why you don't see us doing uh, or, or, or implementing these type of tactics in Midtown is because automatically they would get a, a phone call to the mayor's office or to police uh, police commissioner uh, William Branton's office about discrimination and injustice. But because it's happening in uh, communities that have been historically marginalized and we don't understand our power and we don't feel like we have any power, it just happens and it becomes the norm. Like, it becomes the norm for so many black men to be harassed by police, to be pulled over. Like, I remember being in the car with my friend before he became a firefighter and he was like, oh, again, pulled over again, Selena. And then, like, he just went through this regimen and I'm like, like, how do you know this? And he's like, I, it happens He's all the, the time. Hands yes. On yep. Yes, yep. So. No, sir. Yep. You want some more tea, sir? Massa, right. Mm-hmm. I mean, I mean, it, it, that's exactly what it is. Stanley? Can I, I want to get some, yes. some clarification on something. Sure. So are they saying stop and frisk people? Or are they li- literally saying get five black guys? Get five. <laughs> no, I'm, it sounds silly. How literal but, is it? Yeah. That's a good question. Um, all right. So one thing that they're good at, you know, which is probably why they, they their own personal way to rationalize. They, they it's Tim Wise calls it racism 2.0, colorblind yeah. racism. They get the same racial outcome without ever having to mention race. And what allows this is the fact that, for the most part, uh, in spite of gentrification, New York City has enclaves of, of certain ethnicities and nationalities. So in the 7-5 precinct in East New York, um, yeah, you know, you just tell guys to get, they, they have to, I believe their number was 20. You have to get 20 stop and frisk. In a day? No, in a month. Oh, okay. And uh, you need, again, to legally stop and frisk someone, you need something called reasonable suspicion. Yeah. I don't care where you are. You're not going to get that 20 times a month, time and time again. Yeah. So you, you just end up stopping random people. And and you get to focus on only blacks because it's a black area. And you get yeah. to say, hey, we're just responding to crimes. We're just, yeah. hey, th- this is a black area. How are we racist? But you see, because of gentrification... And the transit, you know, I, I used to work in transit. You get white folks now in certain neighborhoods that were traditionally you wouldn't find white folks. Yeah. And you also get, you also get um, in transit, mm-hmm. you can go from a white area. Uh, a white person can get into any area and, and they'll commit infractions the same way. And all of a sudden you're getting pulled to the side saying, why did you stop that person? they don't even care the fact that you had probable cause. So, wow. Yeah. So it's like you get retaliated against or, or even reprimanded or scolded if you stop a white person yes. as a as a cop of color. Yes, and I'll mention Michael Birch, uh, who was a, an officer who, you know, he actually, there was an article about this. I, I recently wrote an, an op-ed uh, referencing his case where um, the commander who Bratton recently promoted, promoted, is forcing Birch to focus to target black males. He repeat, repeatedly tells him to target black males, and Birch is like, "I don't, I don't discriminate. I, you know, I don't target anyone. I stop everyone. If you commit a crime or any infraction, I'm stopping you. I don't. I'm not looking at your gender, ethnicity." And the commander repeatedly tells him to target black males. Wow. Yeah. I mean, I live on the Upper East Side on 78th in York, and. Um, I'll tell you, I see no activity. I, I see plenty of people uh, committing crimes and infractions, um, but I see no activity. In fact, I don't think I've seen two officers walking a beat in my neighborhood ever. And I've lived there for almost seven years now. Um, I mean, every once in a while, I'll see um, a, a car, just a cruiser, go down my block, go around. Um, but, like, you just don't see it. And yet, 
these people, mostly white, mostly middle class, that live in this neighborhood, they sit on the front stoops, they smoke joints, they drink wine in wine glasses. I got to tell you, I rode by Carl Schertz Park the other day, and there's a little like grassy knoll area, which is in full view of Gracie Mansion, where the mayor lives. And you are on camera. There are, uh, you know, those um, satellite cameras that take 360 pictures. And you're on camera no matter where you sit in that area. And there's two people sitting there, and they break open the picnic basket, and they take out a bottle of wine. And they open the bottle of wine, and they begin to openly pour the bottle of wine into wine glasses, and then they proceed to sit there and just openly drink this wine. Nobody does anything about it. Um, you know, so, and, and nobody's there to come stop. Frisk summons them. Can I... I was just at Riverside Park in Maryland a week or two ago, and we were there eating food, and there were some people over there having fun, and they they had some drinks, but they were like in like concealed that like you couldn't tell. Cops came over, wrote them tickets, disappeared, came back another ten minutes, wrote them another ticket, came back fifteen minutes later, wrote a couple sitting next to them who also was very discreet with their drinks tickets. This all happened in a 45-minute period to the point that Marilyn and I were like, you know what? We got to go. Also because we have some alcohol with us, too. But that's not the point. <laughs> no, I mean, that also leads into a good question for um, Officer Raymond, which is how does broken windows policing play into, um, you know, the kinds of things that you're seeing and the reason why you're bringing your lawsuit? Well, well that's I was going to go there. Thank you for, you know, providing the platform. That, and then that's the main critique, the main flaw of broken windows. According to broken windows... Innocuous infractions uh, are indications of bigger issues. So, you know, when if say there's a murder, if you over police innocuous infractions in the area that the murder takes place, according to broken windows, it's supposed to stop murders. It's nonsense, because if innocuous infractions were an indication of bigger issues, the Upper East Side would be. You know, right. It would, would be like the crime capital exactly, of the or city. Park Slope. They so that, Molly out there. Ex- exactly. So that's why it's so flawed. And by the way, uh. Uh, open container is the number one summons that NYPD writes yeah, year after year. Yeah, it's like 98% year. given to black people. Absolutely. We have those statistics. And if you want, I'm telling you, if you want to see open container, just take a stroll through Park Slope or mm. Upper East Side, et cetera. So this is, that's the main flaw. This is what completely shows that Broken Windows is based on nonsense, com- completely anecdotal, nothing empirical to support it whatsoever, as the Inspector General's report recently uh, stated. Thank you so much for that, Edwin. We actually have on the line with us another plaintiff in the case. We have Richard Baez-Baez, who is also, uh, again, um, uh, leading the way when it comes to just blowing the whistle on NYPD, these tactics that do nothing but hurt and disenfranchise communities of color. Um, thank you so much for calling in, Richard. Uh, <laughs> uh, thank you. Thank you for having me. And Raymond, and I give a lot of praise to Raymond. He's definitely a lion in the struggle. And similar to my story, it's like when I came out of the academy, I wanted to do good. I wanted to protect uh, the community from the bad people, you know, the drug dealers, the murderers, the rapists, the thieves. And when you get on the streets, you know, what they want is numbers. They didn't care what type of number you wanted. Uh, you got, they just wanted numbers. And also, what they was doing also to downgrading the crime. You know, if somebody get robbed, they won't classify as a robbery. They'll classify it as a petty larceny. They'll still make it an arrest for the for the crime, but they won't get uh, <clears throat> the the command won't get that high number because promotion is based on the crime rate. You can make a lot of arrests for uh, can make a lot of arrests for misdemeanors, but as long as the felonies are low, 
the commanding officer of the command would get promoted. So that's the that's how they get away with uh, with uh, their tactics. Uh, also, broken windows, like Raymond said, is flawed in a way that is specifically targeting a group of people. It's not enforced widely throughout the city. Um, Richard, while we have you on the line, I want to uh, make sure I ask this question to both you and Edwin. And again, thanks so much for, for calling in and for exposing the injustices that we as black and brown people feel all the time, but have never really been validated to this level. Like, finally, it's like someone saying, oh, no, it's it's true. They they don't just feel harassed. Um, they're not just saying that. It, it's true. Um, so, you know, we talked a little bit about retaliation that you guys have faced, either being demoted or not being properly perpetrated promoted because you're speaking out but i want to know have you also faced any retaliation from other officers right within your precinct do you feel like the black sheep or anything like that i'll ask that to richard first well i I do feel that from certain officers but majority officer my command we just been uh, brutalized by management so they all know what i'm saying is the truth they won't speak in public in support but they'll tell me in private and say, thank you for what you're doing. Thank you for what you're doing. You even have supervisors come up to me and say, thank you, black, white, and, minor- and Latinos. But they won't go on public record and say it because it's that fear of retaliation that the department has on its, New York Police Department has on its police officers. That's how they keep us quiet. But, you know, brothers like me, Raymond, and the rest of the Blue 12, we are not afraid. We fell up. We want justice in our communities that we serve because we took a, we took an oath to serve and protect, not to serve and oppress. So, thank you so much, Richie, um, for calling in and you know just sharing your story with us, um, Edwin. I want to give you some time to respond to that too about you know how it's been as an officer still going to work every day. Like you just told us, you have to show up and report tomorrow. Yeah. Well, similar to what. Um, Richie said, uh, I expected to be completely ostracized, and um, uh, I got the opposite, actually. Uh, it's been a lot of support. It, it's as if this thing is taking on a life of its own where no one feels responsible, so they're not going to try to do anything about it, but they don't necessarily agree with it. And, and all black, white cops, uh, Hispanic cops, you know, they... <clears throat> I'm sorry. <clears throat> they, um, they've, it's been a lot of support. There, there are some... You know, you get some stares. You know, you get some people whispering when, when I walk into a room, uh, when I go to court, et cetera. You, you know, you get people that recognize who I am. But overall, it's been a lot of support, uh, high-ranking support, too. You know, people that stand right next to the commissioner have, have called and supported me. Wow. Yeah. Have you heard anything from Patrick Lynch? You know what? That's that's um, It's unfortunate I haven't. It you is. Know, because, yeah, I uh, that man. He's yeah. actually on the record uh, speaking about quotas himself. So I thought this would have been the perfect opportunity. And he didn't even release a statement. You know, and I pay my, I've paid my dues since day one. Um, I feel completely unrepresented by the uh, PBA. It's, 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 it's a shame. Because Pat know? Lynch doesn't care about black people. Nope. He only cares about his salary. And I'll put his it on His double air. salary. His double salary. Pat Lynch can kiss my behind. 
Um, don't, don't come to Harlem. You know, before we finish up, I have one more question for you, which is, so there's an article that was published in Vox uh, by a gentleman named Reddit Hudson. He's a former police officer of color who actually quit over issues within the police department he worked in. Um, but he says that in any police department in a nation, 15% of the officers will do the right thing no matter what is happening. 15% of officers will abuse their authority at every opportunity. And the remaining 70% could go either way, depending on whom they're working with. And I was curious to get your thoughts on that. Do you agree with that? Do you think the numbers are higher or lower in the New York City Police Department? And um, what does he mean by could go either way, depending on who they work with? How does that play out? Well, um, I mean, anecdotally, I don't know. I can't give those same numbers. I would would have to give it thought. I've never tried to break it down like that. But one thing I do have to put on the record is uh, more so than individual racism, this implicit bias is the problem, you know. Implicit bias, this idea that even with the absence of criminality, that a black man is a criminal, you know, a, 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 a felonious uh, creature that needs to be dealt with or he'll kill you. This is what causes people to create horrible policy. This is what causes someone who was told, you know, when someone tells you they have a firearm, that is a courtesy and that is a sign of respect. You don't shoot them, you know. You know the, the, but implicit bias, you, you're still not seeing a human being. You're just seeing... One of those guys, oh, my God, he has a gun. You know, it's, it's, it's implicit bias and bad policy needs to be tackled. Right. Um, Edwin, before we let you go, um, I want to just, you know, wrap things up by asking you, why do you think and why are you making a case for federal oversight over the NYPD? But, you know, time and time again, they've said, oh, we have enough oversight. We have five district attorneys. We have internal affairs with over 400 members, et cetera. We have a ton of oversight, and it's nonsense. But, and now they brag about the inspector general being oversight when, when they were saying they didn't, we didn't need an, a, an independent inspector general. Now they, they, they were bragging about now we have an inspector general, and you just saw his report on broken windows denouncing it. Um, the NYPD has shown time and time again it really cannot police itself when it comes to corruption. Look at these top brass. Look at this FBI probe. Right. You know, there are people who deserve to be promoted who won't get looked at because they're not p- part of the boys' network. Meanwhile, these guys get promoted right up the ranks, some of them promoted by Bratton himself, and here they are being handcuffed. You know, and, and these are the people that write the policies. You know, it's, it's, it's unbelievable, horrible. It is. It definitely Most of is. The real criminals. Right. No, you're, you're absolutely right uh, in saying that. And Edwin, you know, I just want to give um, people a chance to, if they would like to support you in any way. I don't know if you're on like social media or how they can um, become a supportive and an ally to what you're doing. Well, um, you know, and, you know, I have to thank this group, uh, the Justice League of New York. Oh, yes. Uh, you know, Carmen, Tamika, Angelo, Jules, and, and so many others, uh, Mr. Belafonte himself. Uh, when it comes to the grassroots support for the movement, uh, NYPD 12 case, New York Justice League, they are, they are the ones. They, they are the ones who are guiding this. And just go on their websites, find them. You could just put me in Edwin Raymond. You know, I'm on Facebook also. Um, you know, just everything is through the Justice League. Right. But if you could reach out to you could try to find the officers based on their name on social media also. No, definitely. Yeah. The New York Justice League is yeah. definitely leading the front when it comes to fighting against police brutality and also the discrimination within the NYPD. But I'll also say, you know, as a civil rights lawyer, we really appreciate what you guys are doing because it's helpful for us. We've been trying to make these cases, you know, um, uh, for a long time, um, whether they're individual cases or class 
class actions. And it's really difficult to try and bring a case sometimes when you don't have people blowing whistles. So when people start blowing whistles and you start getting actual evidence, including uh, audio recordings of officers saying things, that can be extremely helpful moving forward, um, you know, from my perspective and from the perspective of probably every single other civil rights attorney in New York City and throughout the country. Thank you for that, Alyssa. And really quickly, I just want to wrap things up by saying, let's not forget New York City and New York State itself is one of the most progressive states in our nation, right? We're always, you know, you know, uh, uh, playing that liberal card and, you know, leading the front. But it's I feel like we forget sometimes just how bad it is because okay, obviously New York is a blue state and a lot of Democrats run everything. But still within these communities, we're still being hurt. We're still seeing officers go out and stop and frisk black and brown people and arrest them. And eventually they can't even get a good job. Like, how do you know that young 14 year old black boy who may have been smoking a joint may or may not have been like selling a Lucy or something so minor? How you know he wasn't trying to be a police officer trying to get his life together and now he can't because he has a record so we're just hurting each other when we hurt these disenfranchised communities we are all one we're all here in this state but when when somebody hurts we all hurt so again we just want to commend the new york justice league edwin and also the 11 other black and latino officers for taking a stance people like Alyssa who have dedicated their lives to fight on behalf of these people and give them a voice and we'll continue doing our part here let your voice be heard and I, again if you're listening it's time to take action i mean if you don't get anything else out of you know this entire show it is a call to action get involved go to our protest donate some money tweet about it do anything because people are dying and it's time for us the people that know better to do better and on that note we're going to take a quick break but don't go anywhere Alyssa's coming back with a quickie right here on let your voice be heard and we are back hrc stands for hillary rodham clinton (laughs) and uh so last tuesday and speaking of hillary rodham clinton last tuesday fbi director james comey recommended that no criminal charges should be filed against her of course conservatives minds exploded and people who like love bernie sanders so much they're going to jump off the cliff for bernie sanders um, their minds exploded and everybody was really mad and they were like we don't understand there's two systems um you know uh two different criminal justice systems. And that's true. Let's not forget that that is true. There are two different criminal justice systems. But nonetheless, um, in this situation, um, the question was whether or not Hillary should be indicted and charged criminally for her handling of classified information while she was secretary of state. The um, FBI said no. The attorney general, Loretta Lynch, she's from the Department of Justice. She announced later in the week that they were going to follow the FBI recommendation of no federal charges. So what is going on here and why? is Hillary Clinton not going to jail, not getting charged? Um, and the, the, the short answer is because while some of the things she did may have been careless, um, very reckless, um, but that doesn't necessarily mean they li- they rise to the level of a crime. Uh, so federal law makes it a felony to mishandle classified information, either intentionally or in a grossly negligent way. 
Um, There is a second federal law that also makes it a misdemeanor to knowingly remove classified information from appropriate systems or storage facilities. The FBI spent over a year investigating this. They looked um, at all of these computer servers to see if there was evidence that classified information was either improperly stored or transmitted on Hillary Clinton's personal email system. In order to bring a criminal charge, they needed to find actual evidence that Ms. Clinton or her people had intentionally transmitted or willfully mishandled classified information. They found neither. They found that, um, they sorry, they did not find that her conduct revealed that she in, committed any intentional misconduct or that there was any indication that she was disloyal to the United States or had done anything um, intentionally to obstruct justice. They did say she should have known that with the system she had in place um, was really no place for an unclassified uh, email system. However, they said that um, this extreme carelessness um, on handling of highly sensitive sensitive classified information did not amount to a crime. Uh, she said they said that there was lack of evidence that she or her colleagues colleagues, sorry, actually intended to break any laws. Um, in addition, there was no evidence that any of the work-related emails were intentionally deleted from the system. On the other hand, they found that she periodically deleted emails in the regular course of business, just like any one of us would, and that some of these other emails were purged for the systems when she changed devices from one BlackBerry to another or from one server to another. Um, and because she was not using a government account or a commercial account like Gmail, there was no archiving system in place to retain copies of this emails. Um, now, a lot of people have said, but what about David Petraeus? And what about other people like Edward Snowden and like Chelsea Manning and people who have been caught blowing the whistle? Um, what prosecutors found is that in those cases, um, there was some combination of elements that were missing from this case, M- mostly the intentional mishandling of classified information um, that indicated disloyal to the United States or intentional efforts to obstruct justice. I won't get into all of those cases necessarily, but um, Um, At least with respect to the David Petraeus case, he pled guilty to a misdemeanor for mishandling classified information. In that case, he was sleeping with a woman named Paula Broadwell who was writing a book about him, writing his biography. Um, She was his mistress. And while they were doing the dance after (laughs) they got done doing the dirty and were laying around in bed together, he decided to literally tell her classified information, intentionally decided to give her this information. So there was some key differences. Another big thing was he then lied to the FBI and told the FBI that he did not give Patricia Broadwell any information. Oh, sorry, Paula Broadwell any information. And then when she wrote her book, guess what turned up in the book? All this classified information that she told the F- he told the FBI that he didn't give her. Oops. <laughs> so, um, you know, and uh, also, and, and this is a big thing that we really should remember when we talk about two different criminal justice systems. Prosecutors, um, they weigh numerous different factors before they decide to bring charges, or at least they're supposed to. And that's a big problem we see in our criminal justice system here, which is we have a lot of overzealous prosecutors that, you know, if somebody brings them an arrest, um, then, you know, whether it's a long term investigation or just somebody off the street, they usually just listen to that information and they don't do like an independent investigation and they decide to start a prosecution um, before they investigate. And then maybe they start to investigate and then later on they go, oh, wait, you know, we got this one wrong. Let's drop these charges. Um, But at least with respect to the FBI, they have a lot more time and a lot more resources. And so does the Department of Justice. So they really put the time and the effort in to make sure that before they're going to bring cases against somebody, they really got them. And 
I actually did federal criminal defense work uh, for the first year and a half um, of my career. And what I noticed in doing federal criminal defense is a lot of times when you look at these cases like a gang conspiracy or a union fraud case, the FBI has been investigating people for years. They have complaining witnesses. They have wiretaps. They have done thorough investigations and they are not bringing an indictment or charges against somebody before they really know that they got them. Um, And that's not to say that that person is still, you know, not innocent until proven guilty. But nonetheless, the FBI, and that's another reason why you don't hear a lot about FBI agents shooting people in the streets, because when they go to apprehend somebody, generally, they have a proper search warrant. They go there with the SWAT team. They know what they're getting themselves into. And they also know generally that there's a lot of credible evidence that this person has committed a crime. So, um, you know, that's really all I have for you. Obviously, um, as I can say, um, you know, some of the things they looked at in Hillary Clinton case was regarding intent and also regarding decisions about, you know, the context of her actions and how similar situations have been handled in the past. As a criminal defense attorney, I think it's the right decision. I am biased. I don't think I'm necessarily biased in favor of Hillary. Um, I am a Bernie voter, um, though I am a Democrat. But I do think as somebody who always says, let's err on the side of uh you know, making sure innocent people go to jail. I think this is the right decision. I'll end on this. Ben Franklin once said it's better that nine guilty people go free than one innocent person go to jail. I think that's a really important part of our criminal justice system. And I think that's what we should all strive for, um, whether we're the police officer or whether we're the civilian or whether we're the prosecutor. And I hope that we will work towards getting justice in those situations. No, definitely. Uh, Thank you so much for breaking that down, Alyssa. So unfortunately, we do have to say goodbye for now but we want to thank everyone for tuning in calling in edwin for coming into the show um of course we can't do it without you guys um and if you guys want to hear this segment again or share it you can uh, go to our itunes uh, subscription at lyvbh radio check out our website at lyvbh.com obviously that's the acronym for let your voice be heard and don't worry we'll be back next sunday god willing right here on let your voice be heard thanks guys and happy sunday Sunday. Look at my down. Look at my down. Look at my down.